stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. The reading from, is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all the things. And he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and then of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. Thanks for your welcome and thanks for your introduction, Kenny. Thanks for leaving out other things you know about us, <laughs> particularly about me. There's nothing to hide about Liz, but um, I think we first were, um, came to visit this church when our kids were little and uh, when Keith Peck was pastor, it was a long time ago. Um, there's so many ways in which you have supported us and have been very generous toward uh, toward us over the years, and we're very grateful for that. Um, one thing we look back and we realize that other missionaries have been told by Mission of the World, your support is dangerously low and you're under-supported, you need to go back to the States and raise some more support, and we've never had to do that. We've, we've come back, but not because, you know, we were in that state. And, uh, and now we get to travel around and, and not ask for any support and just say thank you for 40 years of praying for us and being behind us and being generous and making us part of your church and making us feel at home. It's really tremendous in that. My wife is back here and uh, so she's, uh, many of you are going to remember her and so she's sitting with the, uh, behind the sedas and uh, with the silers. So I guess in the S section. Um, it's, it's good to come back. It's a strange time to come back to churches, and it's, it's uh, made it more difficult for us to visit churches and, and express our gratitude just because of all the, the restrictions of COVID. And yet the Lord is sovereign, and he's building his church, and there are ways 
in which we're going to be surprised when we see who comes, when everything opens up again. I know in our church in London, we had just, just opened up uh, to, to meet face to face. And one of those Sundays, uh, this family showed up and uh, they're as visitors and they said, well, uh, in a way we're not visitors. We've been worshiping with you online for about three months now and, and uh, wanted, now that we know that you're open, we wanted to come and join you. So God is doing some, some things as a lot of people have had things sh- shaken up in their lives and, um, and, and uh, have been looking for, you know, what is our refuge? Uh, who is central in our lives? And they have realized that Christ needs to be central as we sung. Um, and the things that seemed important before are no longer as important. And uh, they recognize the, the needs of their own heart. So as we look at this passage, um, Paul is trying to help the church in Ephesus and help us understand uh, how, do, how do we work together? What has is, what is Christ done for us? What is his intention and his design for the church? Uh, first of all, uh, there, uh, Paul wants us to understand that there's a diversity of gifting that Christ has provided for us as his church. And the, the emphasis that we often go quickly to here is the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. But Paul begins the passage by saying, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that expression grace here is, is uh, used by Paul in other places to talk about calling, to talk about gifting, uh, what Christ has done for us. And Paul points out to begin with, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So it's not that grace or gifting is given just to certain people within the church, but to everyone within the church. And that's going to affect what he says about how uh, particularly pastors and teachers, shepherds and teachers, are to, to uh, function within the church to equip the saints, the people of God, for the work of ministry. So Paul wants us to understand that, that if we are coming together in unity, and that's what this chapter is about, it's going to be because each of us is working together in the role that Christ has given to us, that Christ is central, that he is the one who has sovereignly given to you the particular gifts and abilities that you have and the people that he has put in your lives. Uh, Paul quotes from a psalm, and in that psalm, if you, if you go back and look at that, you'll see that it's talking about God <clears throat> being victorious and uh, God has conquered his enemies and our enemies. And so like a, a typical conquering hero, uh, people come and say thank you and they bring gifts to him. But in Christ's case, Paul takes that and he, and he switches it out in some ways so that as the conquering hero, Christ is not receiving gifts from us in our gratitude, but instead he is pouring out gifts on us. Uh, the typical um, conquering hero uh, is one who has, has come in in might and in power and has vanquished the enemies. But Paul points out that Christ not only ascended to that position of power, but first of all, he descended. He came and he became a servant. He came and he subjected himself to the cross and he conquered the cross. And so Christ has, has done more than we even saw in God himself in the Old Testament. He has come and he's be, 
become our flesh. He's taken on our nature and he has, and he's conquered sin and he has, and he has, he's come as our deliverer. And so as the one who descended and then ascended, he has given gifts. And that's what it says in, in verse 11. He, it was he who gave uh, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. We look at those uh, titles and we think of people who are really at a very high position in the church. Uh, apostles, unless you're in certain kinds of churches, we don't have apostles anymore. Uh, people who are sent by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to go out and, and to, to bear witness and, and to write scripture. Paul can write scripture. I can't write scripture. I can just read it and base what I say on scripture. Uh, and prophets, uh, people who's, who spoke out the word of God uh, when it was needed and God had a message to communicate to men. And evangelists, uh, uh, there's something which is a, a bit more what we experience in our, in our own lives. We look at someone as, and say that person is a real evangelist. But uh, evangelists were also people like Stephen, uh, who are really notable and gifted in ways that, that I'm certainly not gifted uh, we're more accustomed to the pastors or shepherds and teachers uh, because each congregation uh, has a pastor or, or more than one. And they are the ones who shepherd us in our lives. And so we are, we are more accustomed to thinking in terms of, of them in our lives. Uh, when Calvin preaches on this passage, he, doesn't, he, he has a reminder to those who are in those kinds of positions, uh, don't have an exalted view of yourself. Don't, as a pastor or a teacher in the congregation, think of yourself as, as just about as good as an apostle and, and think that I have all this knowledge and training and I need to display it so that everyone knows how knowledgeable and how spiritual and how important I am. Calvin says the whole point that Paul is making here is that Christ has given these gifts in order to prepare God's people for works of service, to equip the saints for work of service. So the, the calling of a, of a pastor in a congregation is to equip all those people who are gifted by Christ in the congregation so that they can carry out the function that Christ has given to them, and they might be equipped for that. And Calvin, in preaching on it, says, if, if you are the person sitting in the chair or in the pew... Don't think, well, I don't really have any role, or I don't need this person to be telling me what to do. Instead, you need to soak that up and absorb it and think about how does Christ want me to use what I'm learning in my own ministry, and my own life. Because all of those people are going to be involved in works of service. Uh, the apostles are ones who are sent out by Christ uh, in, a, in a lesser way, as missionaries, we are sent out by the church to go and take the gospel to another part of the world. Uh, and, but everyone is being sent out. Uh, you are going to be sent out from this service so that you can go and be an emissary for Christ to someone that your pastor will never meet or, or uh, doesn't have the contact with. He's not part of their life. But Christ has sent you there and you need to be equipped. The same thing in terms of evangelism. Uh, you and I are not Billy Graham, but Billy Graham is not going to talk to the person who lives next door to you uh, because he borrows your lawnmower or you, you borrow his electric drill. 
you have a relationship there, a connection that gives you an opportunity to be an evangelist in a way that Billy Graham could never be. Uh, you can shepherd someone else. Uh, we become equipped by our shepherd to become a shepherd to someone else. So you may be shepherding your children, you may be shepherding other people uh, who need to learn certain things. You come in contact with people who need some guidance. They need some support, they need to know somebody cares about them. And God has put you in a unique place to do that. And so pastors and, and teachers are in the role of equipping those people. Calvin says, don't have an animosity between the pulpit and the pew, but you are working together because Christ has called you to this role and, and uh, Christ has enabled you to, to do those things. Even as Presbyterians believing that a church needs uh, more than one person who is an elder, who is a leader, a spiritual leader in the church, we all have our, our, our uh, abilities and, and our, our circles of influence and the our perspective on things and are able to say, here's how we can minister in this community. Here's how we can work together and how we can make decisions with one another. Um, I had some good examples in my own life to, to help me to see this happening, to see people who had built me up and had taught me and had equipped me for things. But I went uh, out of seminary to a pastorate in the middle of North Dakota. And uh, this was a community that was growing because there was a cold fire generating plant being built and a new mine opening up. And uh, so we had all these construction workers that came in their trailer and, and uh, they came and, and they began to work there. And the church really wanted to reach out to them. Uh, the women in the church said, we would like to learn how to do evangelism. And so I was trying to teach them about evangelism. Well, it was the, the first people from the, that construction worker community who would come to the church were typically the women and not the men. And uh, so we'd have a woman who'd come to the church. Well, the thing we needed to do was to follow that up. I realized that if I went and I was visiting the women in the trailer park next to the church during the day when they were at work, uh, that was not going to set over, uh, go over really well. And uh, that, that night in the bar, there was going to be conversation about who is this Presbyterian minister and what's he doing with our women. Uh, but the women in the church wanted to learn to do evangelism. So I would go with one of the women in the church uh, to visit this woman who had come on Sunday and try to make a relationship between the two of them. And those relationships often clicked. Those women in the church reached out to them and they not only taught them about Jesus, they taught them how to bake bread and they taught them how to cook and they taught them how to raise their child and how to love their husband and solve problems with their husband. They, they learned a, a whole lot of stuff because of the investment of those godly women in the church in the lives of those women. So now in, in, instead of the Presbyterian pastor having a bad name in the church, uh, these men were eating better food than they'd had before. They were solving problems with their wives and they were seeing their child uh, become more obedient. And, uh, and we, had a, we had a good name instead of a bad name. And we saw, we saw not only women, but we saw couples uh, come to faith in Christ and we saw their lives transformed because the investment and, and I realized that, <clears throat> that my role was to equip those women saints for the work of ministry that they were so much more capable of doing than I was. And that, was, that wasn't a brand new idea. That was, that was what scripture said. 
That's what Paul had told us 2,000 years beforehand. And we simply had to follow that. And it was something that really made a difference in the life of the church. Paul says the purpose of all of this and preparing God's people for works of service is that the body of Christ may be built up. That partly that's people coming in, but part but it a lot of, it's a lot more than that. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, we gained a unity with those people because they came to the knowledge of the Son of God and they were brought in and made part of a community. Uh, until, uh, and, uh, until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Those people found that they had a community. And some of them, when the work moved on, they found a lesser paying job and they stayed in the community because they had never been really part of a community before. These people had taken them in and made them part of their community. The church grows not just in numbers, but in maturity and in, and in unity with each other when we're focused on Christ and we're growing in him. This passage also was a help in when we were involved in ministry in Kenya. Uh, shortly after we got there, a local politician managed to get our, our health center shut down. Uh, it was unclear what the reason was, but we had to work with the Ministry of Health and try to get our, our health center opened up again. They had to come up with some legitimate sounding reason why we were shut down. And once we met those criteria, we could be reopened. It was the end of his political career because people said, you shut down the clinic and my child died of measles. So that's not a good way to become a, a successful politician. But what it reminded us of was the fact that we were there on borrowed time as missionaries. And our, and our role in, in shepherding and teaching and evangelism was not to be those people, but to equip Kenyans to do those things. And, and so we changed our perspective from, uh, from the way missionaries sometimes think, well, we're going to do these things, and then in five years we'll start thinking about training people to take over. Instead, we realize right now we've got to be training them because next week we could be gone. And so it changed the way in which we saw the ministry that we had. Uh, it in, encouraged us to not think about ourselves as the focus, but that Christ had gifted people around us and we needed to be able to see who those people were and we needed to equip them for ministry. Uh, we saw the same kind of thing happen when we got to England. Uh, we saw the potential of people in the church to do ministry and that we needed as, as the leadership in the church to equip them for that. Uh, one of the younger women in, in our church uh, said, uh, you know, I've, I've got this new child and I, and I realize there's a lot of things about mothering that I don't know and they, they aren't in the book. And if you have your mother nearby or your grandmother or your aunties, they, they can teach you those things. But here in London, we're, we're separated. But she said, I'm, I'm in, in the church. So I go to the other young, uh, young mothers and, and we share information and we grow and we help each other. But what about these young women I see in, in the park? Uh, they don't have anybody like that. 
And so those, those moms got together and they started a, a mums and tots group, as they would call it there. And, and they called it Little Stars and they started inviting these other women that they would meet in the playground and they would meet in the grocery store and say, come, we have this group, uh, you will find some fellowship there. And, and some of those women came in and really benefited from that. We had to move in our last six months. We were in a new place and... Um, the young couple next door, they said, oh, you're from the Presbyterian church. We call that the friendly church. We're not church people, but I go to the little stars with my little girl. And those people have welcomed me so much, and I've really made some friends with them. And so there's an exposure to the gospel through that thing. And those women are reaching out to each other. That wasn't an idea that the elders came up with. It didn't come out of a book. It came from the moms in the church saying, here's something that we can do. And, and we just supported them and encouraged them and saw that ministry grow. And our role was to equip these saints for the work of ministry that they were doing. In the second part of this passage, uh, starting with verse 14, uh, Paul talks about the context in which we minister. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Uh, you can really pick up uh, Paul's picture here. Uh, here's, here's a rowboat out, in, out on the water in a storm, and the one in charge is 10 years old. And the four-year-old is petrified, except this 10-year-old seems to be so old and seems to know so much. Uh, maybe you get the 10-year-old and the 8-year-old rowing, you know, each one with an oar. And, and they're going around in circles. They're making progress, but getting nowhere. Uh, there's no decision-making. There's panic. There's, there's terrible distress in this situation. Paul says that's what we're like if we don't have somebody equipping us, somebody guiding us, somebody helping us, we could be misdirected. Paul's talking about the context in which we live, uh, tossed at back and forth, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Paul says it's, it's not just confusion in the world around us, but there's also deceit and there's scheming and, and there's wicked ways of seeing things. We live in a context now in which people don't go to hear preaching and go to, to worship Christ, but that, that human uh, characteristic is still there, and, and so people are listening to other preachers, and they're ga gathering together with other bodies of believers. This is my cause. This is what I'm really into. Uh, and, uh, and here's my leader, and they're telling me these things. And, and so we have all these deceitful voices around us who are giving us political solutions and, and political or, or, you know, economic definitions and solutions or environmental or whatever it is, family life, whatever. And, and so every, we have all these voices around us who are telling us this is what man's real problem is. Uh, this is what is right, and this is what is wrong. <clears throat> this is what is sinful and you have to avoid. And this is what you really ought to be doing. And, and, and we, we hear all these voices. Uh, we hear them on the news. We hear them when we, we uh, follow Twitter, if you do that, or on Facebook, or all these different places. There's all these confusing things about there. 
uh, that, are, that are telling us what the problem is and telling us what the solution is. And Paul wants us to come back to the scriptures and be taught by our pastors and teachers, taught by the scriptures, so that we're able to say, well, this is what the problem is, and this is what the solution is. That's why each, each Sunday morning we confess our sin, because we say before God, this is what the problem is. And we look at Christ and we say, here's what the solution is. And don't, don't be confused by all of those other things. Don't be a bunch of little kids in a rowboat out in a storm uh, trying to figure out which way you want to go and how to get there. Instead, take the definition and the understanding from Scripture and from what it teaches us so that then we won't be so confused. Verse 15, instead of that confusion, uh, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So we need to hear the truth, and we need to hear it in love. Now, many voices around us are saying, this is the truth. No, that's the truth. No, both of those are truth, even though they disagree with each other. We need to hear real truth. And other people would say, well, don't tell us the truth uh, because that hurts. I want love. And Paul says, no, you have to have truth and you have to have love. Those things have to go together. And here in the body of Christ, we can speak the truth to each other in love because we know the commitment is there. In uh, teaching English, uh, um, Liz has worked with people from different nationalities. And in recent years, uh, a lot of those women have been Japanese uh, because they, they tell each other about the class and so more and more Japanese are, women are coming. Well, one of the difficulties with the Japanese women is that Japanese culture doesn't have a clear concept of sin that fits with scripture. A sin to them is breaking the law. And Japanese people, kind of like English people, like to know what the rules are and they like to follow the rules. And so they're very polite, they're very observant, they do things diligently, and it's really hard for them to look at their own hearts and see sin. Because sin for them is things like murder and, and stealing and, and uh, uh, those kinds of things that are very brazen and, and, and illegal, in fact. So it's hard for them to understand their need of Christ because they don't see sin in their hearts. Well, this found that the most effective way is to get involved in these women's lives. And with some of them, she was reading scripture together every week for a couple years and built enough relationship that in love she could say, you know, what you just said shows a real pride and pride is a sin. Whoa, I didn't realize I was a sinner. Or the jealousy that you've expressed in that, or the, the, these kinds of things, she couldn't speak those things until they understood that she really loved them and she was able to speak truth in their lives. And so she was able to see some of these women over a period of a long period of time come closer and closer to Christ. And one woman became a believer and was baptized and entered into the church and is really growing as a Christian. But it takes speaking the truth in love, not telling people what they want to hear, not saying what we think is politically correct sometimes, but also being able to speak into people's lives and they know that it comes from an expression of love toward them. And Paul says, especially within the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love is, is essential if we are going to grow up into Christ in all things as our head. 
From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's how the body works. Christ is the head, and all of us are different pieces of that body. If you cut off the head, the body is dead. You don't sew it back on again. You don't bring life back to it. If you lose Christ, you've lost everything. And there's no point in carrying on. But in the body, we, we sometimes cripple ourselves because we say, well, I don't like the job I was given, or this person didn't treat me well, they don't appreciate what I'm doing, so I'm just going to stop doing it. And so we cripple ourselves in one way or another. Uh, some years back, I knocked off the end of my thumb uh, working on my motorcycle. Uh, I feel crippled by that. The pain is still there. I've had to learn to do things differently. So I'm missing a part of my body and it affects me. Uh, If it was Christ, I'd be dead. I didn't lop my head off, just the end of my thumb. But sometimes we do that to one another. Uh, The body really needs something. And your brothers and sisters really need something contributed. And your pastor and and your teachers have been trying to equip you for that particular ministry and help you to grow in that. But sometimes we, we're kind of like kids in this rowboat. We say, well, I, I wanted the right oar, and I was given the left oar, so I'm not going to participate. And there you are, rowing in circles. Or somebody says, I don't like this job on the tiller. I want it to be on an oar. And so you're making progress, but it's haphazard because nobody wants the tiller. Each of us is given our job to do And when we do those things, when we equip each other and encourage one another, the body of Christ grows. When we were in Kenya, um, one of the things we observed was that the pastors, even though many of them had a very limited level of education, they saw themselves in kind of an exalted position in the church and in the society around them. And so sometimes they weren't doing what what Calvin was talking about and realizing what they knew was there for the benefit of the people in their church. And, um, and a lot of people in the church felt like, well, there's really nothing I could do. There were a lot of women in particular who said, well, if we, if we have a church meal, I can cook. Uh, or I can come in before the service and sweep the dirt floor. But there's not much I can do in ministry. Then having a, a health ministry, a health center, we realized we needed to do a lot more in terms of preventative health, so we needed a community health program, and we needed people who had credibility in the community, an interest in learning about health, and a willingness to invest in other people in the community and teach them those things. And the pastors almost all said, well, this woman in my church, she could do this. And now she had a position in which she could do a ministry that really made a difference. So uh, I remember one story of of, of one of those women, uh, a neighbor woman who had never been interested in the church. Uh, She she came by her friend and she said, I'm taking my child to the clinic because she has diarrhea and, and, and I'm afraid she might die. And this woman who was trained in community health, she said, well, let me see your child. Your child is really dehydrated. They're like a plant. They need to be watered to grow. Traditionally, you've been told all that fluid's coming out of their body because they have too much fluid, so don't give them anything to drink. No, this is what you need to do. So let's pray and ask the Lord for, for the life of your child. Let's give her this, uh, this to drink. Let's give her this to eat. 
and uh, then uh, you can stay overnight and go tomorrow and uh, just loved that woman and her child and brought that child back to health. And the next day, the child was doing so much better and realized that they didn't need to take her. And she said, she said, I never wanted to go to your church, but now your Jesus has made my child whole. She had a ministry that the pastor never had to that woman and to her family because she was equipped and because she loved that woman and she spoke truth into her life. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for this church. I know that they have been an example in many ways of looking for the needs in their community and seeking to meet those needs, equipping one another, encouraging one another, and doing those things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to keep on and to grow, uh, to serve you well in this community, and I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would you would guide them and, and uh, that you would guide their pastors, that you would guide their elders, that you would guide them in identifying gifts and, and abilities and equipping people to serve you. Lord, may the name of Christ be lifted up. As we have sung, may be, he be central to all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.